take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. The back of your Bibles, just after James, 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll read the first five verses. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because... God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's hear God's word. Please keep your Bibles open to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're coming to the end of our series of studies on the topic of submission. We began with James 4, 7, where we were told, submit yourselves then to God. And we saw that as God's creatures, he has the right to command us. Therefore, we are to submit to his word, to everything that he says. We're to put ourselves under it and believe what he says just because he says it. We're to obey what he says because he says it. And we are to submit to his providences as well in our lives, those difficult things that he has traced upon our dial by the son of love. But then we started to see that the Bible also speaks not only of this direct submission to God and his word, but that God has established human authorities in our lives that he calls us to submit to. So wives, submit to your husbands, children to your parents, slaves to masters, which we saw applied to employees to employers. And in each case, that submission is to be done as to the Lord, who's the one who established that authority over us. Well, that's a little harder, submitting to human authorities that God has established, but he has grace for that to give to us. Last week, we transitioned from submission in our homes to submission in the family of God, the church of Jesus Christ. And we found the same principle of authority and submission established in Christ's church. That here the chief shepherd Jesus has given, has delegated his own authority to those holding the office of spiritual leadership in each local church. Sometimes they're called leaders. Other times they're called elders. Other times they're called overseers, sometimes shepherds or pastors. And he's called on them. Those are all the one and same 
office of spiritual leadership in the church. And Christ is called on the members of each local church to submit to them as to the Lord who sends them. So last week we were in Hebrews 13, 17, and we saw God's word to the members of the church. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority, for they keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. So that verse sets forth your duties to your elders. Now, to be fair, I'm going to take this week's sermon to address the duty of elders to the members of the church. You say, why would you do that? Why would you preach to us a word that is sent to elders? Wouldn't that fit a a pastor's conference better where pastors gather together? And yes, we do study such passages when pastors gather together. But this is something that we see in the scriptures themselves, a pattern that we notice. Remember Paul in Ephesians 5 and 6, when he addressed wives to submit to husbands, he had an answering word for the husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. When he called children to submit to parents, he had a a balancing word for parents and especially fathers not to exasperate and provoke your children to wrath. And when he spoke to the slaves uh, to submit to the master, he had an answering word to the master to not forget, you too have a, a master in heaven over you, so be careful how you treat those under your authority. And so I say that's just following the pattern, that, that there, there is a balancing word to be given to the one in authority. I gave you the word for those in, in submission to authority, and I only think it fair to balance it with the word to the elder. Peter does that here in our passage. He actually starts with the elders and then in verse 5 speaks to the younger men, especially in the church, who maybe were a bit resistant to submitting to the elders of the church and calls them to submit. But it's a word to elders. And this is not a private letter just sent to elders. This is a general letter sent to the saints, the elect saints scattered throughout Asia Minor in those churches. And it's in that general letter that Peter is addressing. Uh, We'll see. He's going to address slaves. He's going to address wives. He's going to address husbands and masters and, and government leaders and citizens and so on. And here he's addressing pastors, elders, overseers, as they're variously called. So in other words, the Holy Spirit who inspired Scripture wants you to hear this as well, not just elders. He wants you to know the duties of elders. Why would that be? Well, to know what to look for in an elder, to know the qualifications that must be met, to know what you should expect from your elders, and supremely, to know how to pray for them. If you're visiting, you may not realize, although the announcement was given, that we are searching for another elder to serve full-time here in the ministry. 
And I think that's another reason why we ought to take this week to focus on the work of the elder, that we might know even better what to ask the Lord to give us and, and to, to make this man to be to us if he's to be a blessing to us. We're asking God for a man that we can all gladly obey and submit to his authority. And that includes me. Because you see, I'm not only a shepherd, I'm also a sheep who needs shepherding, who needs someone watching over me. And that's the beauty of what we see in scriptures, that when Paul and Barnabas went out and planted different local churches, the Bible is very clear in telling us that they ordained elders, plural, in each church. And when Paul writes to the elders of the church at Ephesus to leave with them some parting words. It's elders, plural. And when he writes a letter to the Philippians, it's, it's addressed to the elders, plural, and the deacons that were there. So we see this pattern, that it is the mind of Christ, the head of the church, that there be a plurality of, of spiritual leaders in each local church. Now, not every, um, not every local church will always have a plurality of elders. At present, we don't. But this should ever be the, the model, the prayer, the aim of the local church to have a plurality of leaders. An elder without anyone overseeing him is more likely to abuse his authority in the local church. So plurality of elders is a safeguard to the flock. So I, with you, am concerned that Jesus give us a man that I, too, can submit to. Well, with that rather long introduction, let's dig into 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll look at the first four verses as we have time. I want you to notice as Peter begins how he identifies himself. How does he think of himself as he's writing to elders? Well, he says, verse 1, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. So his first identity is a fellow elder. So, so Peter was an elder in the local church at Jerusalem. Now, to be sure, he was more than an elder. He was an apostle, as he says in chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he was one of the 12 and, that were chosen and trained by Jesus and to whom Jesus gave his teachings that they might be the foundation of the local church on which following pastors and elders are to build the church. It's on Christ, the chief cornerstone, and the apostles' teaching as the foundation, Ephesians 2, 2 20 through 22. So he gave to the apostles, this unique authority. So Peter not only had authority in the church at Jerusalem as an elder, but as an apostle, he had authority over all the churches everywhere as one who has been authorized and sent by Jesus Christ. That's what apostle means, the sent one. That's why we're reading his letter this morning in public worship. This is the word of Christ through his apostle, his sent one, Peter. 
So he's an apostle, but he identifies himself here as a fellow elder. Isn't that interesting? Uh, when he's speaking to elders, he bases his appeal not on his authority as an apostle, but rather as a fellow elder. And I say the work of Christ is amazing to see in the life of individuals. Uh, this Peter um, is one of those 12 apostles who were earlier found arguing with each other about which of them was the greatest, jockeying for positions. Um, but now he's not flaunting his authority, is he? he he's learned Christ-like humility to come down to their level and to speak to them as one elder to fellow elders. And this shared position of elder to elder would have opened their ears and their hearts more readily to receive the word that he has to give them. He's one of us, they would say. He knows what we're up against, the challenges that we face as elders. So that's how he identifies himself to them as a fellow elder, but secondly, as a witness of Christ's sufferings. Now, to be sure, Jesus saw, or, or Peter saw the sufferings of Jesus Christ, but this probably means more than that. As you know, the whole letter of 1 Peter is about suffering, and Peter himself has seen and shared in Christ's sufferings in his own life, and therefore, he is one who is also looking forward to sharing, as he tells us, in the glory to be revealed. And this, again, is remarkable coming from Peter. Remember, he used to re refuse to believe that Messiah could ever suffer. He can't die. He must reign forever. And so he rebukes Jesus when Jesus says he's going to suffer and die. Oh, but now his eyes have been opened. This is after the crucifixion, after the resurrection. And he now sees that suffering comes before glory, not only for Christ, but for all of his people, and yes, even his apostles and his elders. It is suffering followed by glory, and Peter himself has shared in the sufferings and is looking forward to sharing in the glory to be revealed. So that's his identity, fellow elder witness of Christ's sufferings and share in the glory to come. And then Peter's word to his fellow elders has two large points. First, their duty described, and secondly, the manner in which their duty is to be performed. Their duty is plain. You see it there in, in verse uh, 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Now, we spent much time last week touching upon this uh, duty of the elder last week, so I'm not going to be long with it today. Uh, be shepherds. You know, the Lord Jesus was very fond of this metaphor of shepherds when speaking about leaders in his churches, because it really pictures the various duties that spiritual leaders have in a church. He, he says, do for the congregation what shepherds do for their woolly sheep. 
feeding, leading, protecting, healing, seeking, caring. And we saw last week that this is done primarily in two ways, by preaching God's word, feeding you, warning you, pointing out your duties, the way that you're to walk in fellowship with God, and then secondly, by watching over you, exercising oversight to know what are your needs indeed for each individual sheep under our care. Notice here, though, that elders are told, first of all, they're reminded that it's God's flock that they care for. Be shepherds of God's flock. They're his precious sheep. And that comes with weight to any sensitive elder. Jesus said in John 10 that the hired hand cares not for the sheep. So when the, the wolf comes, he's out of here. He doesn't care about them. Now, now, a shepherd would care far more if they were his own sheep. But there's an even higher notch than that. And that is that we elders are caring not for our own sheep, but for God's sheep. Do you see how high of a duty it is that the, the elder has? It is to care and to shepherd God's sheep, his flock. You remember what Jesus said to Peter after the resurrection in John chapter 21? Peter's denied his Lord three times. Jesus has had a private meeting with Peter, but now he's meeting with the rest of the apostles, and he's going to reinstate him in his commission and work of the gospel in front of them so that they know, hey, everything's square with Peter and Jesus. He's one of us. We're going forward with the gospel to the world. You remember how Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, well, yes, I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. We ask him again, do you truly love me? Lord, yes, I, I do love you. Well, then tend my sheep. Do you really love me, Peter? And the third time his heart was smitten because it reminded him that three times he had denied his love for his Lord, even that he even knew him. And so he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, and feed my sheep. Isn't that interesting? They're my lambs. They're my sheep. And if you love me, then take care of them. My sheep are only safe in the care of shepherds who love me, Jesus is saying, because those who love me will love them for my sake. It's the love for Christ himself that will keep a shepherd tenderly caring for Christ's sheep and not using his authority abusively. But the moment we forget whose sheep they are, we're in danger of exercising our authority in an abusive way like Diotrephes and 3 John who loved the preeminence and loved being first and used his authority to excommunicate people who were just showing kindness to the missionaries that came through. Abusive. Oh, remember, elders, to shepherd God's flock. But notice the elders' charge is not to shepherd all sheep that belong to God. You see it? 
They're not to be meddling in the flock under someone else's care. It's, it's shepherd, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. That's a very selective part of God's entire flock in the world. So an elder needs to know, who are the sheep under my care? Who are the sheep? Not everyone, but only those who have joined this local church and have voluntarily placed themselves under the oversight of its leaders. And that's why church membership is critical, because it precisely defines the flock that is under our care. The sheep that I must stand before Jesus, the chief shepherd, one day, and give an account for. Who are they? Well, they are the members of this church who have voluntarily placed themselves under the oversight of this church and its leadership. That's why when people became disciples of Jesus in Acts chapter 2, they were baptized and added to their number, added to the number of that local church in Jerusalem. You could count them. It was a very definitive, clearly understood, these are members. If you can count them, it is a clearly definable membership. And that sets the parameters then for the duty of elders. These are the ones I'm responsible to take care of. So that's the duty of elders. Shepherd God's flock that is under your care and serve them as overseers. Now we come then lastly to the manner in which we are to shepherd God's flock. The second part of Peter's words. And that receives the emphasis and the larger portion of Peter's words. He spends more time on the way we are to shepherd than in describing the work of shepherding. It's the kind of spirit and attitudes that are to reign in our hearts. So what we learn from this is that how we shepherd the flock is just as important as the what of shepherding. And so what follows are three contrasting couplets, each with a, a negative and a positive. How, how are we to shepherd God's flock under our care? Not like that, but like this. That's how he answers and sets it forth plainly. So the first couplet, he says in verse 2, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Now here Peter's drilling down into the heart motivation of the shepherd. Shepherd God's flock, not because you have to, but because you want to with a willing heart. You say, well, what difference does that make? Oh, all the difference in the world. And parents, you know. What's the difference of your child doing a task and they're doing it because they have to and, then, and another thing they're doing because they want to? Well, it's, it's night and day. If their heart's not in it, they've got to be drug along in it, don't they? They'll do the bare minimum, the, the least they can do to, to get by. But, oh, if they want to do it, well, they, they run to their task. They're glad to do it. They're motivated from within with a willing heart. And so it is to be with pastors, not because they have to, but because they want to. Lenski, the commentator, says it's the difference between drafted soldiers and volunteers. 
I think we have something of an illustration of that presently in the news. Think of the Russian young men being reluctantly drafted into their army, forced to fight a war they don't want to fight. Not like that, elders, but rather like Ukrainians willingly volunteering to defend their homeland. Does it affect the outcome of their service, the way that they serve? Oh my, there's no comparison. And so elders are not to serve like Jonah, God's reluctant preacher to Nineveh. Reluctant service is totally unfitting for men in the service of the chief shepherd. You know, he didn't come on his hardest mission of all against his will, but said, here am I, send me. And none serve more willingly with his heart fully in it, going voluntarily to the hellish cross for his sheep. He's, he tells us in John 10 that the good shepherd lays down his life. No one takes it from it. I lay it down willingly of myself. And it is that willingness of the chief shepherd that makes his under-shepherds willing volunteers in his service. In his service. You know, Paul has a list of qualifications for elders and pastors. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, this is how the, that list begins. And listen for the heart that is being required here. Not because you have to, but because you want to. Paul tells Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. You see, his heart is in it. He willingly desires it. That's first base. But if his heart is not in it, don't let him do it. Don't, don't put the flock under such a man. Spare the, the flock from such an elder. No, it must not be service because they have to, but rather because they want to as God wants them to be. So the second couplet, not greedy, for money, but eager to serve. Verse 3. Now in life, there are givers and takers. And elders must be givers, not takers. Not out for what they can get from their people. Not in the ministry for any kind of personal gain, whether it's financial or fame or whatever, notoriety. To be in a place of leadership. I talked to a pastor in town recently whose church has been looking for a pastor for many years now. I thought they'd already found one. It had been so, so long since I had heard that I asked uh, who he was. And in a most dejected spirit, he, he said, no, we, we don't. We've called five men and none of them would come. Not enough money. One was even requiring a car to be provided as a perk. And he said to me, sadly, it's a pastor's market with so few available for the churches. And they're not bashful about making financial demands. Now, to be fair, I don't know the details of that, okay? I, I didn't drill into the details. And there is a legitimate concern of a pastor to, to care for the needs of his family. Because if he doesn't, he's worse than an infidel, even if he is a pastor. So there's a legitimate concern there. But 
But the reason this is in our Bibles is because it's very easy to cross that line of caring for our family into being greedy for money. Indeed, these three things that are mentioned, they're here because they're common faults of elders, common faults of pastors. And sadly, what we find of greed for money in the culture at large has not escaped the church either. It's found there. It's, it's, it's not been a rare problem down through church history. The Apostle Paul in the first century had to warn against false teachers who think that godliness is a means for financial gain. There were and are plenty who use the ministry as a money-making venture. And so Peter says, not greedy for money. One of those necessary requirements for an elder in 1 Timothy 3.3 is not a lover of money. You see, Peter and Paul had the same Holy Spirit teaching them. And so the negative is clear. Not a lover of money, not eager, greedy for money. But now let's look at the positive. What, what's the positive? Not this, but, but eager to serve. You see, the eagerness is not for money and getting, but the eagerness is to serve, it's to give. In this, we see just how different is the true spirit of the chief shepherd. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, to get, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to give, not to take. And oh, how he gave. Amen. He gave till there was nothing left to give. He gave himself. He gave his own life that he might give us abundant, eternal life. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might be made rich. That's his heart. Not out to get, but to enrich you. Not just in time, but for all eternity. And he came to enrich you by the impoverishment of himself, sacrificing his own life. And something of that eagerness to give in the service of others must be found in the under-shepherds of Jesus Christ. They must be men who have learned from him that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Men like the Apostle Paul who can tell the church in Corinth that was such a problem to him. I will most gladly spend and be spent for you. He's not there to get. He's there to spend and to be spent. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. And so we come to the last of the three triplets, the three couplets. And it's not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Verse 3. The abuse of authority has plagued every God-ordained authority structure in the world. It's plagued the arena of the home. Husbands abusive of their wives, parents abusive of children, masters abusive of slaves, employers of employees, 
governments against their citizens. There's no arena of authority that God has established in the world that has not been abused by abusive authority, authoritarianism, authority run wild, gone to seed. And sadly, the church has not escaped that. Here it is. One of the top three problems in elders is that they lord it over others. And Peter comes to address it head on. And he's borrowing language that he heard from his Savior, the Lord Jesus, who said this on at least two occasions when the 12 apostles were arguing among themselves about who was the greatest and who was supposed to sit on either side of Jesus at the coming of his kingdom. You know, pride is the gasoline on the fire of abusive authority. Pride is the gasoline on the fire of abusive authority in any relationship. Humility is the grace most needed, both for submitting to authority and to using that authority in a non-abusive way. So here are these future leaders of the church. Yeah, the foundation of the church, their teachings, and they're proud. And so Jesus calls them together and says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles the pagans, they lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. How would you like to be on the end of that finger from the Savior? Not so with you. I don't think they forgot it. Peter's quoting it here. He didn't forget it. Not lording it over them. You're not to exercise authority like the world does. They lord it over those under them in a domineering and oppressive way, selfishly playing the tyrant, disrespectful like puffed up peacocks, bullying and pushing themselves around and stepping on others as if they existed for them, climbing on top of them on the way to the top. Not so with you, Jesus says. Not for my under-shepherds caring for my sheep. And Jesus said to them, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the Lord Jesus has an entirely different model of leadership with an entirely different spirit behind it. It's called servant leadership. It is as far removed from lording it over you as it can be. Not throwing your weight around as pagan lords, you see, but rather stooping to serve them. Just like the husbands are called to do in their sphere of authority, not lording it over the wife, but loving their wives and giving themselves up for her as Jesus did for his church, you see. So it's to be with the elders of the church. There are two other places in Scripture where this phrase, lording it over them, is contrasted with the proper use of authority. Let me just cite two of those. In 2 Corinthians 1.24, not that we lord it over your faith, Paul writes to the Corinthians. We don't lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith that you stand firm. 
So authority is not to be used to, to step on people and crush their joy, but to work with them for their joy. They're to benefit the joy of the people they serve. What, what a contrary notion from lording it over where we seek our own joy. And then the other passage is 2 Corinthians 13.10, where he speaks of not lording it over them, but he, he speaks of the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not tearing you down. So you see, in all these, these cases, uh, the opposite of, of not lording it over them is, is to serve the other. It's to, to work with them for their joy. It's, it's, it's not for tearing them down, but building them up. But we come back here to what Peter says. So he said, not this, not lording it over those entrusted to your care, but rather being examples to the flock. Use your authority, elders, to be an example to the flock. Are you in front, out front of them as their leader? Then, then leave a good example behind for them to follow. Let your life be the best illustration of your sermons. Do yourself everything you require them to do. And that stands behind all the qualifications in the list that Paul gives to Timothy. There must be no glaring omissions of any of these qualifications. Why not? Because the elder is to be an example to the flock in all these areas. In their family life. In their personal life. In their public life. In their church life. He's to lead them an example. Teaching not only by precept, but by example. So they can see in your life what they hear from your lips. So not lording it over, but leading by example. A story comes to us out of uh, the lore of the American Revolution. As the colonists were fighting the Brits, uh, they were moving from one place to another, and one brigade was having to move a cannon. And it was raining and cold, and a tree in the storm had fallen across the muddy path. And it stopped their progress. The lieutenant on his high horse was swearing and yelling at the men, telling them to move it out of the way, but with no success. And then a man on a horse rode up, none other than General George Washington, commander of all the colonists' forces. And he watched the disaster unfolding before him. And he got down off, off of his horse down into the muddy path, put his shoulder under the tree, and said, okay, men, on three, we're going to heave ho. And they heaved, and they hoed, and it wasn't long before that tree was gone. It was out of the way, and they were able to proceed. George Washington got back up on his horse and rode off without another word. He didn't need to say a word. His, his example spoke volumes. Someone has said that a lecture can inform, but, but an example persuades. No wonder he was a runaway choice for the first president of the United States. He had the respect of his men, not just because he knew what to say, but he showed it in his leadership style by his example of doing what he called upon the troops to do. 
pastors lording it over others, sitting on their high horses, shouting commands for the, the church to do, which they themselves will not do. It's the very kind of leadership Peter is condemning. And so the chief shepherd has left elders as an example. He has left to his elders his own example that we elders should follow in his steps. He's the ultimate example. And so at the Last Supper, just hours before the cross, Jesus gets up from the table and takes off his robes and girds himself with a towel and takes a basin and water and goes around and washes the dirty feet of his disciples and then goes and sits down and says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Jesus was the master teacher. He was the living embodiment of the truth. He is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Just watch me, and you'll see that truth in action. And the following morning, he would stoop even lower to, to serve them when he would stand in their place and take the infinite wrath of a holy God for the sins of his people to be condemned for them. And any elder worth his salt is to have that blazoned upon his heart. That's what leadership looks like. That is the chief shepherd there dying on the cross for his sheep. Not lording it over them, but being examples to the flock. So there are the three great dangers for elders. Laziness, not doing any more than we have to because we don't want to. Greed for selfish gain, praise of men, money, and abuse of authority. Pushing ourselves onto others, telling them to do what we wouldn't do ourselves. And, and, and the opposite, serving because we want to. Eager, not for gain, but to serve others. And then leaving an example for others to follow. And you know, in every single point, who the best example was, it's our Savior. So we must keep Him front and center. Whether it's as an elder, myself, whether it's you in your place where you're called to lead others, they're serving as the Lord has taught us to. You know, David was a, a good shepherd of woolly sheep, wasn't he? And when a bear or a lion came and took one of the sheep away, he wasn't a hireling, he was watching his father's sheep. And so he went after that lion and bear and killed it with his bare hands and took the, the lamb out of its mouth and brought it back to the fold. And that greater son of David, Jesus Christ, has done far better. Because our enemies were not bears and lions. Our enemies were, were our own sins that were strangling us. Our enemies were Satan who, who held us in bondage and we didn't even know it. We thought we were doing our own thing and it was all his thing. Our enemies are God's wrath against sin. 
And our shepherd, Jesus, conquered every one of those foes on our behalf by laying his life down on Calvary. Do you know this good shepherd? Is he your good shepherd? Are you one of his sheep? Have you, have you come and, and bowed under his authority and said, Lord Jesus, I believe what you say in the Bible about me. I'm a sinner. I deserve to go to hell. But I've also read that you're a merciful Savior and you turn away none that come to you. Oh, Lord Jesus, save me from my sins. I have no other trust but you. And he will save you. And then you will know something of what we've spoken of this morning, the power of this example of Jesus over his disciples to serve, to live as he's lived. Well, let's sing of him in number 135. 135. We're going to sing of our sure redeemer, our coming king, and our gentle shepherd. There's no gentleness like this the chief shepherd. 135, stand and sing it as we give him the glory. Now may the God of peace who brought back from the dead by the blood of the covenant, the Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will and work in us, work in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.